Thank you, Father. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. You are great and a mighty and a magnificent God. And we praise you and we worship you, Lord. And Father, we give you free reign in our lives and in this service. Lord Jesus, may you be magnified. May you be glorified. And may every heart within the sound of my voice be lifted up to you. Not to Calvary Chapel, not to David Ford, not to anything we see, but to you, the Son of the living God. Let our hearts be directed towards you in everything that's said and done this morning by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may have a seat. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Paul will bring you a Bible. Everybody's got a Bible. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We've got new lighting. We've got more seating. So um, it's, it's, things are going great at Calvary Chapel. We're very thankful for everything the Lord is doing here in our fellowship. And uh, we come to an interesting passage this morning. We're actually going to um, turn in your Bibles to Hosea. Hosea uh, chapter 4. And while you're turning there, the question I want to ask you is this. Why is strong leadership in the church important? Why is strong leadership in the church important? That can kind of sound like a bland subject, sometimes a boring subject. But my goal this morning is to show each and every one of you in here why church and leadership is so important. It's, it's pinnacle that a church body have strong leadership. You know, when you go to a church, what do you look for in a pastor? What do you look for in elders? What do you look for in church? I know I'm kind of, this morning, I'm kind of putting myself on the spot. But that's okay, though, because that's what the Word of God does. It raises the bar and expectation for those who serve in leadership, for the pastor, for the elders, for the deacons. It's very important. So um, I want to, and my, and my goal this morning is for you to leave here saying, wow, church leadership really is important. That's my goal. In, in teaching this morning. Uh, 755 B.C., a little over 700 years before Christ, I want to read to you what Hosea the prophet said. Um, if, so turn there, you know, Ezekiel, Daniel, then Hosea. So let's start off. We're going to read Hosea chapter 4, verses uh, 1 through 9. And this is really an indictment against the people of Israel, and more importantly, an indictment against the leadership of the, of the nation of Israel and the leaders, and they weren't doing their job. They weren't doing the right thing. So let's take a look at it and see what the Scripture says. Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying, killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break all restraints with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Verse 3, Therefore the land will mourn, and everyone who dwells there will waste away with the beast of the field and the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Uh, now let no man contend or, re or rebuke another, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. Therefore you shall stumble in the day, and the Prophets also shall stumble with you in the night, and I will destroy your mother. Verse 6, Hosea chapter 4. 
My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priests for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sin against me. I will change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people. They set up their heart on their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. What you have in Hosea chapter 4 verses 1 through 9 is you have this stinging indictment against the nation of Israel. In verses 1 through 5, the prophet, God is speaking through the prophet to the people. But if you turn, if you get to verse 6, he turns and speaks directly to the leaders. He, tur- he speaks to the leaders. He says, he tells the leaders, he says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. It says, they eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. During Hosea's time of prophesying in Israel, there were three kings that ruled during Hosea's ministry. They were Uzziah, Jotham, and Ahaz. Uzziah was filled with pride. He failed to remove the symbols of idolatry in the land. Jotham, he failed to cleanse the temple of the pagan idolatry. And Ahaz, we know what he did. He encouraged what? The worship of Baal. These were the leaders. These were the leaders of God's people, guys. This wasn't some rogue people out there in the desert. This was the leaders, the kings, as the scripture says, of the nation of Israel. And they were leading the people astray. And look at what happens to the people in verses 1 through 5. He says, back at verse 1 of Hosea, he says, there's no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. The people are swearing. The people are lying. The people are killing. The people are stealing. The people are committing adultery. There's bloodshed upon bloodshed. Verse 6, the people were being destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You know, everything was amok because of the leaders of Israel in this day. The leaders were not rising to the occasion. They were not maintaining the standard to properly lead and shepherd and guide the nation of Israel. That's what was happening back then. Listen to Warren Wearsby. Warren Wearsby says, Worldly and ignorant spiritual leaders produce worldly and ignorant people. And this brings destruction in the land. That's what Warren Wearsby says. Warren Wearsby goes on to say, this is, you know, we're talking about the importance of church leadership, okay? The importance of the, 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 the way the pastor does business, the way the elders do business, the way the deacons do business, the way church does business. Warren Wearsby goes on to say, as goes spiritual leadership, so goes the church. So goes the church, so goes morality. As goes morality, so goes the nation. Whoa. Whoa. Do you see what he's saying there? That even the church leadership, man, we, we impact the people, the body of Christ. The body goes out and impacts the people in the community and society. And so it goes. You know, we all know, we've all been a part of churches. People emulate leadership. If there's a high standard for leadership, the people have a higher standard. If there's a lower standard, 
in morality and leadership, the people have a lower standard. And it's so important that as the body of Christ and as leaders within the Lord, being led by the Holy Spirit, walking in grace, walking in truth, that, that leadership establishes a standard of living and demonstrates that for the rest of the body. And I believe with that foundation, that background, that is where Paul is going. So turn in your Bibles as we make our way through the New Testament to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, and we're just looking at the, um, the first half of 1 Timothy. We're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. But as I was studying this passage this week and preparing to teach this message, I couldn't help in my mind but to go back to 755 B.C., when Hosea wrote these words to the nation of Israel and think about the what-if scenarios, if, the, if, if Ahaz and, and Jotham and those guys, if they would have done what they were supposed to have done. You know, people prosper when there's solid leadership. You prosper. Now, not only, can this, not only is this passage dealing with church leadership, but I want you to think about it as we study this, is your impact in the community. Your impact in the community. So yes, this is Paul is talking about uh, elders and overseers and pastors and deacons in this passage. But think about your sphere of influence at, at where you work and how you can grow in these areas and be a leader in your community that impacts the world for Jesus Christ and that lives a godly Christian life. Amen? So let's get into our verse-by-verse study of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's take a look at verse 1. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. The New King James uses the word bishop. Some of your translations say overseer or elder, but the Greek word is episkopos, and it could be overseer, it could be elder, it could be bishop. Um, but the thing that, that grabs me in this verse is... Um, if you have a new King James, he uses the word desire twice. If you don't have a new King James, that first word, if you have the NASB or some other translations, it says aspire. That word aspire means to push yourself forward, to go after. It's the picture of a person going after ministry, pursuing a calling. You know, we see that in, in students at CIU who are going out there to get their education and they're pursuing um, a degree in ministry. We see that in the local church, people being discipled within the body of Christ and moving forward to, um, to serve in ministry. But, the, but it's two different Greek words that's used there. The, the, but the second one is the one I want to focus on. At the end of verse 1, it says, it says, he desires a good work. That Greek word for desire there is ethemio. And it means an overwhelming passion, an unstoppable drive, a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. So as we look at these verses, you can break it down. Verse 1 is the calling that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's that passion that's within that minister, that's within that pastor, that overseer, that elder, that gives them the drive that says, I want to do this. This is a calling God has placed on my life. Now, the scriptural authority for, for church leadership, pastors, we find that pastors 
in um, Ephesians 4.11 as a gift to the body. The word pastor, it, it comes from the Latin word that we, uh, we see in the scriptures as shepherd. Then you have elders and overseers. We see them here talked about in 1 Timothy and also in Titus chapter 1. And then you have deacons. You have deacons that are talked about in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. So that's the scriptural authority for, for church leadership. But that's not enough. That just gives us the standard. There has to be a divine calling that the Holy Spirit places on the heart of the servant that says, you know what? I'm calling you to ministry. I'm calling you to ministry. And that desire, the epithemio that, 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 that Paul is referring to here is that supernatural work of the Spirit where he calls you to this place of ministry. It has to be a calling. There has to be biblical authority, what we base it on, because the Word of God is, is His Word and tells us and instructs us on the different offices and the different positions within the church. But then there has to be a calling. And ultimately, you know, a lot of times we look at the pastor, the elder, the deacons, the leadership of the church. We look at them on top. Yeah, okay, in a way, I see how you say they're the leaders of the church. But ultimately, according to Jesus, they're servants. They're servants. Church leadership, yeah, they, they lead, they put things together, they organize things, but ultimately our job as leaders is to come together and say, how can we impact the body of Christ to move forward? How can we help people build their marriage? How can we help people grow closer to the Lord? So in a sense, we're the under at the bottom, we're the underroars at the bottom, Paul talks about in Corinthians. And, and our job is to build the kingdom and to equip you, equip you for ministry. Each and every single person has a calling on their life. And our job as leaders is to help you find that calling and to serve. But here's the deal, guys, as we move into verse 2. There's a responsibility. There's a moral responsibility how we live our lives matters for those who serve in church leadership, those who are servants. We have to practice what we preach, and we have to live out the standard that God has placed before us in his word. So let's look at verse 2. So verse 1, the calling from the Holy Spirit. Verses 2 through 7, how you live your life. Let's take a look at it. Verse 2, he says, And a bishop must then be blameless, must be blameless, uh, that word blameless means above reproach. does not mean you've lived a sinless, perfect life and you're a holier-than-thou person. But what it means is this, that you, in your present state that you are, that you are setting a moral and a spiritual example for all to follow. That's what it means. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And God has redeemed people and he restores people. And he gives people a place in leadership. And he, but he expects them to, to live above reproach. We must live above reproach. If we don't live above reproach, the body's not going to live above reproach. It's just that, it's just that simple. It's just that simple. You know, it's the same with parenting. You know, you know I, I grew up, I grew up, I heard that saying so many times from my parents, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> it don't work. It don't work. You know, we follow our leaders, and you, you see this principle at work even in the home. Children follow what mom and dad do. 
Then he says in verse 2, he says, the husband of one wife. Uh, uh, literally, in, in, in the original language, it's a one-woman man. Uh, the, this, the, the pastor, the shepherd, is to be committed to one woman, to one wife. And this speaks of, this speaks of the sexual purity of leadership, this, this required of leadership. We're to be a, a one-woman man. My affections, my physical affections is for one woman. And she's over in children's ministry right now. And that's my wife. And so, so, so shall it be with all leaders within the body is, is you are committed completely solely to your wife. To your wife. When a church leader falls into sexual sin, it hurts the church greatly. Leaders must be must be put protective measures in place. You know, I do not counsel um, women behind closed doors. You know, if there's a lady in the church that wants to meet, I'm like, okay, great. Me and my wife will meet with you, and you know, at the church, and we'll have a meeting. But never, ever, that'll never happen. I would not put myself behind closed doors, just to, to protect her, to protect me, to protect any accusations. You know, we, we must put protective measures in place to guard ourselves. No one is beyond temptation. No one is beyond uh, being dragged away. And we have to put safeguards in place to keep us from falling when it comes to the area of sexual purity. Then he says in verse 2, he says, you're temperate. That word temperate means you're not given to extremes. There's no crazy mood swings. There's no actions. You know, it's kind of like you're, you're level-headed. You, you, you think straight. You're not, you're not flying off the cuff and going left and going right and, and zigzagging all over the place. But you're, you're thinking clearly. You're, you're making good decisions. And you're doing the right thing in all situations. You know, you're, you're, you know I, I make, I, I'm the pastor, but I, I make no major decisions in this church without first talking to my elders, without first talking to them and getting their advice and getting their input. And there are times where I go to the elders and I say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And they'll bring up another idea. And I'll be like, hey, that sounds better. And they change my mind. And they change my mind. But we're called to be, not to be, do crazy mood swings, but to, to work together and to be temperate. Then he says here in verse 2, it says we're to be sober-minded. Again, this kind of goes along with the same thing of temperate, sober-minded. It, it speaks of your mind. Think about the words there, sober-minded. It speaks of your mind. You're level-headed. You're not led by emotions. You think clearly. You see a situation. You process it. You apply what the Word of God says to the situation. And then you make a godly decision based on uh, the Scriptures and counsel and people you trust. And you operate in a sober-minded fashion. Then he says there uh, in verse 2 of good behavior. You know, this is, he's talking about here how we live everyday life, how we live our everyday life. You know, we're called to, to exercise um, self-control. We're called to be reliable people. We're called to be uh, trustworthy. But, we, but we, we, we have to be of good behavior. We have to set the example. I can't tell you to not do one thing or abstain from something, and then I go out and practice that same thing. You know, we as leaders have to set the example for good behavior. If, if only those ancient kings would have done the right thing, 
most likely those ancient Israelites would have followed them because they followed their leader. People look up. Mom and, uh, children look up to mom and dad as their leaders. People within the body of Christ look up to their pastors and their elders as the leaders, and, and, and they follow their example. Then he says there in verse 2, we're almost done. He says, hospitable. The New King James says hospitable. Man, this means, you know, we open our lives. Leaders, we, we open our lives to other people. The Greek word is philonos. Philonos. And it literally means we love strangers. We love strangers. I'll never forget at Calvary Chapel Lexington when they ordained me. I'll never forget what um, Pastor John told me in his office. And I'll probably share this before I'll share it again. Pastor John said, hey, David, times are good. there's going to be some good times and there's going to be some bad times. But at the end of the day, what you want to do, you want to help people. That's our goal. That's our goal. We want to help. We want to be hospitable to all people from all walks of life to come in and find out about who Jesus is and have this personal relationship with Christ and help you. I'm not here to tear you down. I'm not here to tear you down. I'm not here to wreck your life. I'm here to build you up. I'm here to build you up. And I understand that building a person up comes through the Word of God. comes through the expository, verse-by-verse teaching, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time, as one expositor says, and just letting His Word build you and make you. I am for you and not against you. And I want to help you. I want to be hospitable. You know, and I don't care if you've been here for five years or this is your first service. We're going to be hospitable. Hospitable. We're going to love strangers. We're going to care for people. And then he says there in uh, verse 2, he ends it with, he says, able to teach. There must be a deep commitment within the leadership of the church and the shepherds specifically to teach God's word. To teach God's word. You know, and that's the cornerstone of the Calvary Chapel movement. That's what made me fall in love with Calvary Chapel in 2004, 2005-ish. And that's what God called me. And that's, that's that's the only way I know to do is just to open the Bible, you know, from one beggar to another, man. Just offer you God's word and let it build your life. And I know, I know God's word does not come back void. I know as I teach this word and you take notes and you let it soak in, this is going to transform you. It's going to change you by his teaching. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he, he says, and we'll be there in a couple months, he says, I charge you therefore before, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. What does he say in verse 2? Preach what? Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. You know, I'm very thankful that I don't have that panic on a weekly basis. <gasps> what am I going to teach next Sunday? <laughs> What's, what's, what series am I going to go into? I don't, I don't, that's not an issue. Because I know I'm just going to teach through the word. So I know where I'm going to be at next Sunday. I don't have to go home tonight and pull my hair out and have a panic and say, what am I going to teach at Calvary Chapel? Next, next um, Sunday morning, I'll pick up at verse 8 and just walk through the word. But there's a, there's a command in scripture. You know, it's not just a Calvary Chapel. Read it for yourself. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Um, the theologians, pastors, teachers will tell you, in the New Testament, there are what we call three, they call them pastoral epistles. That's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. 
And that, those three letters are the job description. They're, they're the marching orders for the pastor. So whether in whatever church you're in, whether it's Calvary Chapel or First Unity or, or whatever church, and that's the, that's the charge to the pastor and to the shepherd, to the leadership, is to preach the word. It's this, so we got a sermon series. It's called the Bible. Next, let's look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, he's not given to wine. Not given to wine. What is he saying there? He's saying that the leader is not addicted to alcohol. And the first question people ask me, Pastor David, uh, when we come across these verses is, Pastor David, is drinking a sin? And to that, I would say no. Drinking alcohol is not a sin. Now, the Bible does say, and I believe it is a sin, to become intoxicated, to get drunk. But for someone to have a glass of wine or to have a beer with their meal, man, that's, that's between you and the Lord. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to judge you because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, do not become drunk. Now, Pastor David, personally, I don't drink no alcohol, none whatsoever. And the reason I don't drink alcohol is because I don't want to be a stumbling block. I don't want to be a stumbling block to my brothers and my sisters in Christ. But we've had people invite us over for dinner. Man, they have wine at the table and they drink their wine. God bless you. You know, if you, if you feel, if that's between you and the Lord and you feel comfortable drinking wine, well, have your glass of wine. But I, don't, I wouldn't call it a sin. But I would call becoming intoxicated and using it um, and becoming addicted to it and, and, and that kind of stuff. That would, I would call that a sin. But having a glass of wine or a beer in there. But anyway, I abstain from it because I don't want to be a stumbling block. Verse 3, he says, and not violent. Some of your translations say uh, pugnacious. What's he talking about there? The leader in the church is not to be a hothead. It's not to be a hothead. It means you, you're, you don't have a temper. You don't have a temper. You don't fly off the handle. You know, anger and rage has no place in the pulpit or in church leadership. Church leaders, you want people to be able to come and talk to you. You want people to be able to come up and open up to you and, and people to um, bring their issues to you. But if you come across with rage and anger, like nobody's coming to you. Because the people don't want to, that's just confrontational. They don't like that. So, to, so a, a leader should not be violent, should not be pugnacious. And then he says they're not greedy, not greedy for money. I think about Tom Cruise's statement in that movie long 20-something years ago, show me the money. <laughs> that should, no, a pastor should never say that. A pastor should never, should never say, show me the money. That's not about that. Man, that is not about that. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which have drawn men in destruction and perdition. And again, this is in the context of the pastoral epistles. You know, it tells us here, we are not to desire to be rich. And so Paul's telling us here in this verse, he says, don't be greedy for money. Ministry, ministry, let me say this real clearly, ministry is not the place to get rich. Ministry is not the place to get rich. It's not the place to, uh, to fleece the flock. You know, at Calvary Chapel Irmo, we, we do two things with the tithes and offerings. We do two things with them. One, we pay our bills, and then, and then the other we use it for uh, outreach. Outreach, missions, 
things where we can reach out into the community and, and advance the kingdom to, to give. And you guys, um, we're able to do the things because you give your tithes and offerings. And to that, we're very thankful. We're very thankful. But I, I, but I, will, not, I'm, I will not teach sermons and try to squeeze the flock like, like a wet rag and get them to give. That's just not my philosophy of ministry. We will talk about our philosophy of ministry and teaching here is we will talk about money when it comes up in our verse-by-verse study. But if it ain't, but if it don't come up in the text, then we're not going to talk about it. We're not going to preach on it. We do believe, I do believe in the giving uh, the Lord uh, tithes and to give them an offering. But that's, but again, that's between you and the Lord. I do, you know, it says we're not to give under compulsion. The scripture clearly says that. Pastors, teachers, we are called not to fleece, we're not, we're called not to squeeze you. You know, that is an act of worship between you and the Lord. And, when, and that's why we say that. When we started Calvary Chapel Irma, I'm like, okay, we're not going to be about money. Okay, so let's not pass the offering plate. We'll remind people in announcements and let them give. And God has blessed that greatly. God has blessed that greatly. Uh, I think this coming spring, we're on our five-year anniversary. We're coming up on five years. We went from the gym to the middle school, and now we're here. And it's because you guys have given. We were able to put sheetrock up and lights and build stages and screens and children's ministry. It's just because the people be- began to give. You know, that's, that's the way we believe it works. Um, 2000, January 2015, I went to Pastor John. I feel the Lord's calling us to go to Irma and start a Calvary Chapel. He says, here, call these people. Called up Rick and Mary Howell. Met the Panera Bread. Said, hey, let's start a Calvary Chapel. I went to Bank of America with my, I don't know what it was, three or $400 tithe check. Said, we want to open up an account and, um, Calvary, called Calvary Chapel Irma. Deposited that check. We saved some money, bought chairs. Saved some money, bought a sound system. Saved some money, you know, purchased all the things. In the very beginning, man, we were in this stinky gym. We were in the stinky Lake Murray Gymnastics. Me and Daniel would get there every morning at 8 o'clock, and some of you guys would get there with us, and we would vacuum this, this gymnastics pad twice, and then we would put two gallons of Febreze down <laughs> to suppress the smell. But that enabled us to save money and to purchase all the stuff. That's enough. That's enough. But we're not men, godly men are not greedy for money. He says, uh, but gentle, but gentle, he says there. You know, we love our people. We love our people, and we're easy to get along with. You know, I don't, don't look at me as this high and lofty person. Look at me as, as David or Pastor David and somebody that anybody can walk up to and have a conversation. And you can come up to me and say, man, I got this going on. My jaw's not going to drop, okay? My jaw's not going to drop. I'm going to put my arm around you if you're a guy, and I'm going to say, I'm going to help you through this. We'll get through this. We'll make it through. But we're gentle, not quarrelsome. We're a peacemaker. Uh, we, 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 we strive to create peace within the body when people are in conflict, not covetousness. In other words, the, the, the pastor, he is content. He's, he's content with, with where he's at in life. Uh, verse 4, let's continue on verse 4. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Guys, leaders, leadership starts in the home. 
Leadership starts in the home before it comes to the body. You know, we have to, I'm talking to the, talking to the men right now. How do we love our wives? How do we love our wives? The scripture gives us instructions on how to love our wives. We are to love them as, what? As Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? He laid his life down. So godly leaders, you love your wives. You love your, uh, you, you lay down your life for your wives. Ladies that serve in ministry positions, you know, the scripture says you're to uh, submit to your husband. What does this word submit mean? It simply means let your husband be the leader in the home. Let your, let your, let your husband be the leader in home. But how we operate in our homes is very important and it affects how we do leadership in the church. And finally, how we raise our children. How we raise our children. Now, I believe when little Johnny and Sarah get of a certain age, God holds them accountable. Okay? I do not believe a parent is responsible for the rebellion of their child because that person is an individual. What the parents are responsible for is how they did it. Did, 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 they, did they lay out tools? Did they, did, they, did, did they set the example? Did they give them instruction? Did they give them encouragement? Did they give them correction? And if they did, you've done your part. You've done your part. Little Johnny and little Sarah have a responsibility before God himself to have their own personal relationship with God and to, and to find a place of surrender and a place of obedience. Our, our, our job, mom and dads, is, 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 is think about the campfire, is to put the logs around the fire in, in, in hopes and prayer that God will ignite those logs and set them on fire for him. But it's important how we raise our children and how we love our wives. Leadership starts in the home. Verse 6. Verse 6, he says, Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he falls into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. And the reason I read both of those verses at the same time is look how he ends both of them. He talks about unless he falls into the same condemnation as the devil, as, as the snares of the devil. What was Satan's sin? It was pride. It, it was pride in operating independent of, of God and independent of what the Lord, you know, we do ministry not in our own power, not in our own might, but we do ministry by the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us and propelling us forward. That's how all ministry has to be done. So let's look at it. Verse 6, he says, not a novice. Not a novice. What's he talking about there? He's talking about not a new believer. Not a new believer. Uh, there needs to be a season of growth in the life of the believer before he uh, um, becomes a church leader. Basically, it's like saying, you know what, you need to prove yourself. You need to prove yourself. And that's totally legit. And that's totally biblical to say, okay, you want to serve in church leadership? Well, awesome, brother. Thank you so much. Listen, this coming Saturday, we need the bathrooms cleaned. And, and we need people to, we need you to serve in the kitchen or cleaning the bathrooms, you know, um, or serving in children's ministry. Pastor David 
December of 2014, I was in the third grade tent. I, I was in the uh, Calvary Chapel Lexington, and I was in the um, children's ministry teaching the third graders, had my little Yahoo drinks, had my goldfish, had my Bible lessons, had my little coloring papers, and I was teaching all the kids about Jesus and the Bible. And then the very next day, Pastor John calls me and says, hey, I want you to pray about this. There's an opportunity to, to start a church in Williston to go and be a pastor of Calvary Chapel. But that's where God had me before I became a pastor. I wasn't, a, I wasn't in church leadership at, at Calvary Chapel Lexington. I wasn't an elder. I wasn't a deacon. I was just serving faithfully. And, you know, and I've done that for 20 years in the, in the local church. And that's where um, God called me from. So all the, all the things in the church are important ministries that, that people can serve and, and can prove themselves and can use that time to mature and to grow in their relationship with God. And it's a lot of those places. I think it's, um, who does Harvest America? Greg Laurie? Yeah. Do you, know, do, you know, do you know how Greg Laurie was called? Do you know how Pastor Chuck Smith, do you know what Greg Laurie started off doing at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa? He was cleaning the bathrooms. He was cleaning the bathrooms. He was, he was scrubbing toilets at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And now he's one of the biggest Calvary chapels in the Calvary Chapel movement that goes around and does all the uh, Harvest Americas. But it starts in those areas. It starts in those areas of ministry that we grow and develop and we grow beyond being a novice. Then he says in verse 7, verse 7 is important. Every, all scripture is important, but he says in verse 7, moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are on the outside. Guys, leaders, it says, this, this verse is basically saying this, your reputation matters. Your reputation matters outside the church. I want to bring up, a, here it is, this is from uh, Tom Rayner, Lifeway Christian Resources. Um, he had a lot more than this, but I, I, I scaled it down to um, the ones I thought that were, that were most important. But this is a picture, I believe, of what we want the people in the surrounding community and people to think about when they see us here at Calvary Chapel Irmo. First, is leadership that we want people we want to be known for the people having come to Calvary Chapel man those leaders over there they love their people they love their people we are in the business of loving people why because Jesus loves people and we're just following a master we're not reinventing the will second one we want we teach sound biblical doctrine you know that's that's very important to me that's very important to me that's what just makes me love Jesus more and, and follow him more as I study his word verse by verse. But I want people to outside know, man, those guys at Calvary Chapel, man, they're just, they're just walking through the word. They're just teaching the Bible verse by verse, letting the chips fall where they may, and let the Lord do his work in their life. Number three, strong character. Strong character. We need to be known in the community. You know, we're starting to build a relationship with Irmo High School and the athletic director and the coaches and, and the principal which I've talked to personally in the past month, we want them to know that man, we are people of strong character and we want to help those students develop in strong character. We have a vision. We have a vision. You know, all churches should have a vision. You know, ours is still coming together, 
But, you know, I do know that our vision is to be a passionate church led by the Holy Spirit that reaches out to the community. You know, we're not just known as a holy huddle. I don't like that idea. I don't like that thought process. You know, we're, we're known as a people for the community. And I hope through my teaching and through leaders and through everything that that's what people will know us for. Joyful. We come to church to be happy. We come to church to smile. We come to church to be filled with life. Hey, bud, how you doing, man? Hey, Greg, what's going on, man? What, how, how about them Gamecocks yesterday? Well, let's not talk about that. <laughs> or let's talk about Clemson or, you know, whatever. Just to be joyful and be exciting. You know, I want us to be a people that lift people up in the joy of the Lord and let them people see it, man. Man, the Spirit is just heavy on you, man. Where's all this joy coming from? There's a lot of things right now that I could be sad and I could be down about. But I want joy to permeate the air. We got joy here. (laughs) But I want that spiritual joy to fill us. Does not yield to critics. Hey, not everybody's going to like everything. You know, we're going to maintain a biblical standard. We're going to stand for the truth of Scripture. For an example of things like um, uh, marriage, you know, I unequivocally, no compromise. Marriage is between a husband, between a man and a woman in holy matrimony. And we're going to stand on the truth of God's word, even when people criticize it or you're intolerant or whatever. I'm sorry, man. The, the word of God says it. You know, we're Christians. We're followers of Christ. We're followers of his word. We're going to stand on it. You know, we're going to do it in the spirit of grace. Do it in the spirit of grace. We're going to do it in the spirit of love. We're going to do it in the spirit of truth. We're not going to be this holier than thou, looking down the bridge of our nose and being judgmental on people, but we're going to stand. We're going to stand our ground on what this, the Word of God says. Next one, transparent. Transparent. You know, let people see us for who we are. Your pastor struggles from time to time in seasons of his life, just like you do. I face temptations in life. You face temptations in life. We all face temptations. We're in this fight together to grow in grace, to grow in truth, and and to live transparent. I don't want you to think that I'm something that I'm not. I'm a sinner saved by grace, following Christ Jesus, my Lord, and living for him. And I want the same for you, to be transparent. You know, let us be transparent in our church and how we do things. And then finally, uh, looking at, based on verse 7, having a good testimony outside the church, I want us to be known that we model evangelism. That we model evangelism and we are constantly endeavoring to be a blessing to the community through fifth quarter, through feeding the Irmo High School football team, through... uh, just community outreaches, man. You got an outreach idea? Bring it on. Let me know about it. Grab me after service. Shoot me an email. Shoot me a text. I like evangelism. I like reaching out. I love the idea. I, I, just, I, just see, I see all these football players in here with their Irmo High School football teams and us giving them a devotional, us presenting the gospel, us praying for them, football players, cheerleaders, you know, um, that Friday afternoon around 4.15, 4.30, and then we're just going to send them out to Ida and the crew, and we're going to feed their bellies 
and, and, and we're going to reach out to them and give them something to think about. Give them, present with them the gospel. But we want to be reaching out, you know. Sometimes, you know, churches turn into some social clubs and um, country clubs. That's the word they like to use. We're not a country club. We're not inward focused. We're outward focused in reaching out to people. And people can know that when they wake up on Sunday morning, hmm, well, if I know if I go to Calvary Chapel, they're going to they're gonna open up the word and they're going to get into God's word. And, and, and they're going to teach the scriptures. And that's so important. That's so important that, that we get into the word and that we reach out to people. So why is, so I began my sermon with this, mess, with this question. Why is leadership important? Do you see why leadership is important? And do you see why us leaders within the church, that it affects the community, it, affect, it, it goes into the body, it goes into the community, and affects those around us. And we're, we, are, we should maintain a standard. Does this mean that um, if a leader has fallen, that he, that, he, that, he's, that he cannot be restored? No. No. P- Peter fell in Scripture, and God restores people. And, and, but it comes over time. It comes through discipleship. It comes through growing. But there's an expectation, though, that as an active leader within the body, within the community, that you maintain that standard of Christian living. Because what will happen is people, if we don't, they'll use that as an axe to grind against God. And we don't want that. We want people to see the Lord. So let's close in prayer and uh, pray for our leadership. Next week, we'll pick up at verse 8, and we'll continue um, our teaching as we look at deacons in the church. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for um, what you're doing in our body. Father, I pray for our leadership this morning, Lord, that we will set a a godly example for all to follow in our homes, in our places of work, and in our church. And I pray also, Lord, for the body, the body here, people that are out in the workplace, that you will help them to be Uh, better godly leaders in their place of work so that they can make an impact for you. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your word and we thank you for um, understanding this morning why church leadership is important. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen.